in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. Welcome to the show, a heartbreaking game for the second week in a row to open the 2021 season for the Minnesota Vikings. Greg Josephs misses a 37-yard field goal that would have won the game and even up this season at 1-1 one and one with the Seattle Seahawks coming to Minnesota next week. But instead, we are now 0-2, two, two heart-wrenching losses, BG. And there's really nothing else we can say at this point as a Vikings fan. I mean, are we ever going to have confidence in a field goal kick ever again? It's just for some reason the football gods um, not only hate the Minnesota Vikings being to the Super Bowl four times and coming out with zero wins, but also Vikings kickers with uh, Gary Anderson, I think it was, uh, Blair Walsh, Daniel Carlson, who was supposed to be a really good kicker out of college. Had some great kicks for the Vikings, and as we know, it ultimately got cut. And um, don't know what his stats were last week, but I think before last week's matchup, uh, the Raiders matchup, he like, hit 20 out of his last 20 or 22 out of his last 20, um, so which just adds on to the curse, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. with Vikings and the kick, its kickers. But um, yeah, he was four or four yeah, yesterday. Yeah, the 37 as well. yarder he missed. Yeah, the 37 yarder he missed, obviously, and then the extra point, which. I remember them talking about it at the time if that was going to come back to haunt us on the broadcast. And, of course, it was going to because it's a Vikings kicker who missed an extra point. So you're either going to lose the game by one or lose in heartbreaking passion. And, as we all know, we end up losing by one to a really good really good Cardinals team. But it's just frustrating at the end of the day when we could have very well started the season 2-0 if we didn't miss a 37-yarder and if Delvin Cook didn't fumble in that first season game. But here we are. Me and Times had a tweet that I retweeted uh, yesterday from three years ago, three years ago, almost to the day, saying for kickers, joining the Vikings is like putting a cursed amulet around your neck. The jersey is more powerful than you. And I like, guess you talk about the Blair Wall stats. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know what it is about, about Minnesota kickers, but it is. Um, yeah, I mean, you're screwed. I, I don't know if, if, if you're a kicker, why you'd want to go there. <laughs> It's just torture. And uh, Daniel Carlson, BG, as you alluded to, 6 of 6 on the year. He was 33 of 35 last year um, and wasn't great the couple of years before that. But then, um, yeah, six, 4 of 4 yesterday. He hasn't missed a field goal all year. And Joseph was pretty good. I mean, PA said it at halftime on the radio broadcast, and we're going to listen to his call in just a second here. But PA said that after, I think, a second 52-yarder, Uh, was made by Greg Josephs in that game, I think we found our kicker. And what do you know? 37-yarder, no good. Uh, Pushes it right. P.A. jinxes us. He also misses the call. Let's just listen to that now because it's kind of hysterical. Joseph, come on! It is good! No, he missed it! Are you kidding me? He missed it right. He missed it right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Oh my! This, Mr. And PA talked about it on the radio show today. But what a boof! I mean, if you were list, if you were driving down the highway, 
and you heard him say it's good and then all of a sudden it's not good, I probably would have ran off the road. Like that is, <laughs> I would have been so mad. And I was mad, obviously, watching that game or just shocked. I mean, similar to the Blair Walsh 27-yard missed field goal uh, back in 15. It, there was just no words that came out of my mouth. They were just like shocked. Like, they just missed that field goal. As, as Vikings, like, how, what was your confidence going into that kick? Because, you know, I've got buddies who, before every field goal kick, before every PAT, they say, may the curse of Blair Walsh not be upon us. Like, they say that before every Vikings kicker kicks anything. And, like, I've just come to, to understand that like, the Viking fans have absolutely no confidence in any of their kickers. Like, like the two of you, like, what was your confidence lining up to take that kick? Because it was a PAT. I mean, it was a 37-yarder, like, right mm-hmm. in the middle of the field. It was a PAT. Like, was there any doubt in your mind, or how much doubt in your mind was there that, yeah, he's going to miss this? Yeah, if, if I had to put a percentage on it, it probably would have been 55% uh, confident that he was going to make it. And it's just, it's gotten to the point where, like, I probably would have been more confident than that. Um, but it's just, I don't want to get my heart broken every week. So I come in with low expectations. And, like, 55% is obviously low. But for a 37-yarder, it should be at, like, 90% for an NFL kicker to do it. So, like like Beal said, I I was just kind of in shock. But not, I was, it's, it's hard to explain. I didn't really react when he missed it because I was shocked that he missed. But looking back on it, like it's something I should have expected and it sounds horrible to say, but not got my hopes up before the kicker went out there. Cause I've seen it so many times and it's the hopes up. No way we're going to come back and beat this team. We're on the road, especially how we played last week. And then it just comes thudding down with the crash. It's, it's hard to expect, but it's totally something to expect as a Vikings fan. Yeah, I was pretty confident. I mean, I thought that they had a very good chance to make that kick. I thought Greg Joseph's was, Cold-blooded. I thought he had just ice in the veins walking out there. He drilled the 53-yarder last week, and he split the uprights. I mean, he was right down the middle. He piped it. And this is 16 yards closer. It's right in the middle of the field. It's indoors. It's perfect grass conditions. There's no wind. And there's probably 10,000 Vikings fans in the stadium ready to go nuts when you make this kick and, and get to one and one and knock off the Arizona Cardinals at their place. And really make it a great football weekend for the entire state of Minnesota. I mean, the Gophers go down to Denver. They roll through Colorado. The Vikings play pretty good. Kirk Cousins, very solid performance. Probably the best start to his career in Minnesota that he's ever gotten off to. Uh, it would have been an all-time football weekend. Two road wins, uh, both underdogs in both of their games. And it would have been a great football weekend. Now we'll talk about the Gophers later on, but... There was bright spots in the Vikings team, too. I mean, Daniil Hunter, great day. K.J. Osborne, great day. Dalvin Cook, dominated. I think he had 92 yards in the first half. The offensive line played tremendous, way, way above what we expected. I think they gave up one sack, and you could even blame that on Kirk. Uh, But the offensive line held up. They held up against J.J. Watt. They held up against, uh, what's the dude's name? Five sack Uh, Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones, thank you. And they, they played good. They played good enough to win. And you have a 37-yarder to win it. And obviously, it wasn't the only reason we lost that game. But it, it's the glaring one. And it's something that you cannot have happen if you're going to be a championship team. And this is probably the best 0-2 team in the NFL right now. But they have to find a way to start winning these games. I, I have to imagine 
that Mike Zimmer's opinion on kickers is similar to mine, where I've come around the past couple of years where like, I've never, I haven't played organized football since middle school. And, and I have to imagine like, if you're an NFL player, you know, just how tough, you know, whether you're a lineman, whether you're a cornerback, you know, whatever your position is, if you're not a kicker or a punter, I mean, you are, you, you're getting literally your ass kicked for 60 minutes. I mean, you are getting, you feel like shit for two days after you play those NFL football games and you have games come down to a soccer player kicking the ball who doesn't, you know, who doesn't put in like that same, I guess, I don't want to say put in that same work, but who doesn't, you know, football doesn't affect kickers the same way it does every other position. And if there's a part of me that almost wants to ban kicking from all of football because it's just so radically different. I would love because that. It, because it, <laughs> Vikings fans, I'm sure would love it. Oh yeah. But like for the Vikings, especially like, like, and not just for Vikings fans, but for Vikings players. I mean, like to have so many games like in the Zimmer era, I think we've all probably seen, you know, that that was a tweet going around. Um, at least how I saw it is all the close losses in the Zimmer era. Um, you know, when it comes down to like, how do the players feel with, you know, all that they put into the game, all the prep they put in the game, everything. And to have all these losses come down to a guy kicking a ball. And that's his only job is to kick a ball. And everything that they put their bodies through comes down to a guy kicking the ball who doesn't put his body on line every play. Like, I have to imagine Zimmer, like, absolutely despise the kicker position, like, just as a concept. <laughs> and, and and Vikings players have probably come around to that feeling uh, the past couple of years as well. Yeah, I'm with you. And the stats with Zimmer as the head coach uh, are, are not good for kickers. I think we're the seventh worst uh, team in the NFL field goal percentage-wise since ever came here in 2014. And obviously, Zim doesn't have much to do with that, but – when you're talking about a position that's very mental, and I think Greg Joseph said it in an interview a couple of weeks ago, 70% mental. I don't know where he gets that number from, but it's a very mental position, right? You're kicking a ball. It's a lot like golf. Uh, it's not very helpful when your head coach up until today or, or Monday is super, super critical of, of the kickers, and sometimes rightfully so, uh, but Daniel Carlson has one bad game. And he might have had two bad games, but that one really bad game in Green Bay, it cost us that game early in the season. We had a very good roster. It was a Super Bowl aspirations team, and they fire him. And now he's, I mean, he's 6 for 6 this year. And it was 33 of 35 last year. And you're thinking, like, we still haven't found a kicker. We had somebody, had a couple bad games. Our coach just tore him a new one, and then they fired him on Monday. And then you get the next guy comes in, and he's bad. And then the next guy comes in and he's bad. I don't know if we're on like number four or five since Daniel Carlson. Uh, but Greg Joseph's, I mean, up until this point has shown us everything has been very professional. Everything's been clean. He takes his job very seriously, it seems like. He was money last week when we needed him to be. And then this happens at the very end of the game. We lose the game because of it. And you got to question and say, how much of it is, is that? Because in the back of his mind, he knows if he has one or two or maybe three bad games, he's gone. There's no, there's no patience for bad kicking in Minnesota. And that pressure, we have no idea how, how much that affected those kicks, how much that affected that 37-yarder, and how much it affected everything from the last seven years of bad kicking in Minnesota. But at some point, the head coach has to take the that, blame for that. that. That's a great point. That's a great point, Brady. And, like, I think of, you know, like as a Packer fan back to, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, Mason Crosby had a god-awful season. 
And, you know, at that point he'd been with the Packers for a while, you know, he was getting into like his, you know, his early mid thirties and had a terrible season. And Mike McCarthy was like, you know what, like this happens with kickers, like we're sticking with them. And like, since then he's been like up there with Jason Tucker, like since that season, he's been one of the most accurate kickers in the NFL, the kick, kicking game when he feels in the playoffs and whatnot. And I feel like there is like, you know, I, I guess I should say, I wonder if there's, if there's any elements that with the Vikings where when you've gone through so many kickers and when the leash is so short on kickers, you know, just any kicker who goes into Minnesota knows that that leash is short. And I think some of it comes from the coach, but also, I mean, like it, it also comes from the fans as well, because, you know, the fans have come to kind of expect this and, you know, they want kickers to be, to be reliable. And um, I mean, there is, I think, some I say is you know you listen to the the Blair Walls or the or the Daniel Carlson who won me a fantasy football game last week on Monday Night Football. Um, but when you run through some of those stats, like kickers will go through bad stretches, and you can't just cut them when when they have you know when they miss one game winning field goal for you because chances are for every game winning field goal that they miss you, they're probably going to make the next two. I mean, I I don't know if that's correct or not, but um, <laughs> but I guess at the end of the day too, we have spent, I don't know, 15 minutes talking about kicking for the Minnesota Vikings, which is probably the only team in the NFL, which you can spend 15 minutes talking about a kicker on a NFL football team for. Um, but I mean, it's like, this is all why we're here talking about kicking on, you know, kicking on this podcast is because it's the Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings and they haven't, haven't figured that position out for the past seven years. And I mean, just as like a caddy in, in golf, you, you, you don't tell the player right before they're going to hit like the one thing they're not supposed to do, like, Hey, water left, don't go left. Like that's, that's the one thing you don't say. It's like, Oh, there's a lot of, a lot of room, right? You know, you kind of give the alternative and, and you frame it in a positive way. And that's not like Zimmer's going up to uh, Joe's before the kick, but like, you better not miss this, but just it's, it's implied. It, it's already been stated with how they've handled past kickers that, Hey, if you miss this field goal, we're going to have issues. If you do it again next week, you might be fired. You might be out of a job. You might never get a job again. Like Blair Walsh, he's done. He's not in the NFL anymore. He missed one kick, and now he's done. And yeah, he had chances after that, and he went to other places, but he never got it back. And that's just how touchy that kicking game is, and that's you see it with golfers all the time. But if you don't have a positive support system behind you, it's going to be hard to succeed, and we've seen it time and time again. Zim needs to start taking some ownership for that. Uh, a clip well, I should and, and- – Go ahead. And and for all we for all we know, Zimmer could have, you know he might be the most positive person behind you know those closed doors to the kickers. But once you know in the past six years or five years, whatever it is since Blair Walsh, when you cut Blair Walsh, when you cut Daniel Carlson, like even if you're even if you as a coach are positive what you say, if you as a kicker just kind of know in the back of your mind that like if I go through a bad couple game stretch here, like I'm gone. I mean, it doesn't matter how positive you are as a kicker. Uh, more positive you are as a coach. I mean, that's the kicker is going to be aware of that. And, you know, in a position that is so mental, like a game like golf, um, I mean, it's, it's the actions of how you, you know, how you treat your kicker and how you let them go through those rough patches that really matters. So, I mean, we'll see how he does the rest of the year. He's got an extra game to prove himself this year, 17 games. (laughs) Indeed. We're going to need all 17 of them too. If we're going to hope to make the playoffs, I think it was, uh, well, I want to mention this before we move on from kicking, but in, in the post game presser, I should have had this queued up. I don't know why I didn't, but, uh, Zimmer said, uh, when he was asked about, it, he's like, he kind of like scoffed. He's like, let's cut the kids some slack. All right. 
And it was just like the most unusual response from Zimmer that you would ever expect. Because, I mean, typically he's so critical. And then this time he's like scoffing at the question, like, why would I be critical of, of our kicker? Like, what are you talking about, dude? You are the reason why we've had so many issues at this position position for so long. I mean, you, you at some point you can't just keep saying, oh, this guy sucks. This guy sucks. That guy also sucked. Oh, that guy also sucked. Oh, this guy from the, from the uh, Cowboys who's one of the greatest kickers of all time. Oh, he also sucked. Okay, well, at some point, it's got to go back to that head coach. And he's, uh, he's just not handling it great. Not handling it great. We'll, and, see. we'll see what happens. And, and I, think if you, I, I think if you as a football team, like if, if for probably 99% of the games in the National Football League, like if a game comes down to you kicking a field goal, there are probably opportunities in that game that you, didn't, you as a team didn't capitalize that would have prevented you from being in that situation in the first place. I think that 1% excluded might be like the game yesterday between last night between the Chiefs and the, the Ravens. If the Chiefs would have gotten the ball back at the end, I mean, that was just such a great football game. But like, I think too, like, as a, like, if I was a coach, I mean, like, my message as kicker is, or to the team is, you know, we shouldn't be putting this guy in a position where it's only on him for the entire team, for our entire fan base to mm-hmm. win a game. And we as a team need to work to not, not put this guy in this position. Uh, at all, except for those, again, like those are instances where it's just a good football game. Um, but those don't happen, you know, those don't happen 17 times uh, in a year. Enough right. about kicking. Let's move on to something else. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about this stat. Andy, I think you were alluding to it earlier. The Vikings are 8-15-1 uh, in games decided by three points or less under Mike Zimmer. And this is, again, kind of related to kicking a little bit, but that's just dismal. I mean, Mike Zimmer after this week and really after last week as well, uh, he, he, he's definitely on the hot seat at this point. And I think Spielman as well. But if they don't start winning games, if they're 0-4, and I don't know when our bye week is, but if, if they only have like one or two wins by the bye week, I, I don't know why they'd continue on with Mike Zimmer. I mean, clearly it's not working. Clearly it's time to move on. And if they get to that bye week with only one or two wins on the schedule, I'd be very happy to see him gone at that point. Uh, but there's plenty of other stuff to talk about from this team uh, and from this game. A lot of other guys made mistakes. I mean, the offense, they only scored three points in the second half. Uh, yeah, they started out super hot, but you gotta you got to score a touchdown in that second half. And if they do that, it doesn't come down to a field goal at the end. Uh, Breland, he was, again, an issue in man coverage this week. He got burned a couple times on the outside. Uh, he he's just doesn't have his feet underneath him. I don't know if it's a schematic thing. I don't know if it's... He's just slow now if he just lost a step or if he's still just trying to get used to this system. But at some point, you're going to have to move on from Brashad Breeland because he's not working out for us right now. And we can't just keep playing too deep all game. I mean, that's what they did. They played too deep all game to protect him. And the few times they did go, man, he got burned. Uh, so you, you either have to get Cam Dantzler accelerated to get him in the game or he played a little bit more in the second half. He had some nice bright spots. But if you're going to put Breeland out there in man coverage, we're going to get beat. And you either have to find a way to get Cam Dancer into that situation or get Breland just completely off the field, get somebody else in there. Because it's not going to work with him and man coverage. Uh, BG, other mistakes or kind of low spots you saw from the Vikings this week? Yeah, first stay on the topic of Breland. Um, I saw his PFF rankings for the game after the game, and it was like 25.9, which is pretty much as low as you can go. Uh, well being on a 53 man roster. So I think it's yeah. at the point we've seen it, not one game, but two games so far um, in the short season. 
seen Breland just get absolutely burnt, um, failing to do his assignments on the field that have directly influenced points for the other team, and you can make the argument for losses. So I think in the third game of the season already, it's time to put Dantzler in over Breland. Um, Dantzler was only in for 16 snaps either last Sunday or in the first two games, but he had a PFF ranking of 70, highest of any corner on the Vikings. Um, and it's just at that point where, you know, he, he can't go out there and do worse than Breland is doing. Um, so you might as well give the young guy a chance, one of the best rookies in the league, defensive rookies in the league last year. Um, not a great preseason or offseason he had, obviously, um, not playing in the first two games much, but just at that point where you go off of what he did last season and what, what Breland fails to do this year so far. So I think we'll see a lot more of Dantzler this this season, especially with, I think, Mackenzie Alexander kind of be, uh, I think he got shaken up this past Sunday. But um, on the topic of Zimmer and the and the Vikes in general, I think that we could very well go 0-4 to start the season. We're obviously 0-2. We play Seattle next weekend, and we have the Browns after that. Two very good teams um, that, based on the way we've played week one um, and the second half of the week two game, we could very well see ourselves going 0-4. And obviously, coaching has a part to do with it, and the playing has a lot to do with it as well. But I thought our guys played really, really good football for the majority of the game this past Sunday. I thought our offensive line played one of the best games I've seen our offensive line play in the past two or three years. Just very little pressure on Kirk Cousins at all. Our our run blocking in the first half especially was unbelievable. I I was commenting, I think I could have got 10 yards two or three times on different carries because just nobody was even by Cook at all. Um, and that was really, really encouraging to see, especially with Kirk Cousins as our quarterback, knowing that he is one of the least mobile and agile quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. Um, and he's superb when he has protection around him. And after that week one performance where we couldn't protect Kirk and we had so many penalties, every offensive line starter had a penalty. To see us bounce back like that, against the really good um, Cardinals defensive line. That was really encouraging. Um, so I was happy to see that. And then I'll end on something that we could improve on or just a, a, a dark spot from this past week. I think Zimmer, again, just had some boneheaded calls out there with um, doing that squib kick to end the first half when there was 20-whatever seconds on the clock um, and they were able to get that 62-yarder from Matt Prater. I don't know why you don't kick it in the end zone, get the ball at the 25-yard line. Sure, they're going to have five to eight more seconds on the clock, but they started up 10 more yards um, on the field. Of course, you don't know what's going to happen if they do start back at the 25. Um, but without that three points, you're not in that position to kick a game-winning field goal um, at the end of the game. So I didn't like that. And then I saw a lot on Twitter, the, the clock management at the end of the game, where you have like 37 seconds, or the 37 yard line is probably why I said that, but you're on, you have like 40 or 30 seconds left in the game. You have one timeout and you just let the clock run down uh, to take that final field goal where I feel like with any other team that's accessible, but with the Vikings, you just got to get every single yard you can to make that field goal um, an easier kick for whoever's going to be kicking for Joseph to, to convert it. And I understand why after he made 52, 52 yard field goals in the game, but he also missed an extra point. So I, I just think that, like you said, Beal, Zimmer is on the hot seat for going 0-2. But beyond that, just some of the stuff he's calling is just so conservative. Where we've seen in his play calling with the rush, rush, rush. Okay, once that the run game's open, it's passed. 
but also just the time management and and how he operates the game. It seems like he's coaching still in the in the two thousands. Yeah, I mean, there's... Brady, I think. Go ahead, Andy. Oh, um, I was I was just kind of off that. Like you know, you both kind of talked about Zimmer on the hot seat, and you know, as I look at the NFL the last two weeks, I think. The, there are so few things we know about football. Like, I don't even know what teams are good or not. Like, I, th- I, I know the Buccaneers are good, and I feel like that's about it. <laughs> you know, really, but like, teams that are good. And, of course, Tom Brady. But I feel like defense this year is going to be the most, like, obsolete, I guess, defense has been. Like, I, I, don't, I don't foresee in the future us seeing, like, another Ravens, you know, 2000s defense or a Bears defense that just, like, teams that have defenses that can just dominate games. Offense has just gotten so good. I think, like, a silver lining for Vikings fans is that your offense has been able to score points these past two weeks. I mean, if, if you know, back to kicking, you know, if, if Joseph doesn't miss that extra point, then, you know, that you're going to overtime, you're not kicking that or you're kicking that field goal to win the game without the pressure of, of losing the game. Mm-hmm. Like the offense, the offense has the offense seems to be working. I mean, I just know from, I've, I've watched both games off of red zone <laughs> the past weeks for the Vikings. But like the thing I thought about this weekend was like, you know, Irv Smith, Irv Smith is out for the year, I think, or is he out for just maybe the first six games? Like he's an athletic tight end, you know, like, like Beal, you know, you and I talked to Kean Fahey last year. You know, he talked about how Irv Smith is one of those athletic tight ends who could be a great, you know, top tier tight end in the National Football League. Like this offense is seems to be clicking. The offensive line seems to be playing well. Dalvin Cook is doing Dalvin Cook things. That injury that you know was probably pretty scary yesterday. You know, he came back from that, and everything seemed to be all right. Mm-hmm. But I think in in a NFL season, I think it's going to be dominated by offense. Like, I think the Vikings are at least going to be able to hang in there. And the, you know, on the flip side, um, you know, I forget which of you mentioned uh, Zimmer's record, you know, in in one score games. And typically you like to see those one score games being around 50 50 because they are toss ups. But I mean, the Vikings have lost two games by what, three points, you know, four points combined this season. And you go up against two teams the next two weeks, two teams that I think most people consider good NFL teams, the Seahawks and the Browns. And like, I expect the Vikings to probably score 20, 30 points in both games because I haven't seen anything out of those defenses that shows me the Vikings can score 20, 30 points in that game. And those games, and all you're asking your defense in the NFL this year is can you come up with like that, those one or two stops like in the third and fourth quarter, those momentum stopping, momentum turning stops, and I think that's the big question for Mike Zimmer, a defensive coach this year, is can he get that defense to come up with those big stops and crucial moments to put his offense that seems to be clicking, um, you know, in a position to win these close football games. Yeah. Um, but I think two games in, I mean, I'm pumping the brakes a little bit. I'm not even a Vikings fan. I'm, I'm As an outsider, I'm pumping the brakes. I think as the NFL season plays out, I think the Vikings will. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs. I'm not saying they're going to, you know, win their next seven games. But, um, I think our perception of how NFL football is played as a whole is changing, and this is going to be a big year for that. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Vikings play into it. Yeah, a lot of interesting points there, Randy. And maybe it's a it's a case where Mike Zimmer doesn't work as a head coach in the NFL, a defensive-minded guy who wants to run the ball and wants a certain type of offense to complement his defensive side of things doesn't work in the NFL anymore, and maybe that's what we're coming to realize and I guess the rest 
of this season, the last 15 games for the Minnesota Vikings, will kind of tell us that story, at least for this year. And if it doesn't end up in a playoff berth, you've got to imagine Spielman, Zimmer, both out the door. And let's start this thing fresh. I mean, we still got a lot of talented players here. You got Dalvin Cook, you got Justin Jefferson, two young stars. And in my opinion, you got the quarterback for the future, Kirk Cousins, who's looked in the last two years markedly better at handling rushes with a below average line for pretty much every single game he has played as a Minnesota Vikings quarterback, um, other than a few times like like last Sunday uh, when that offensive line holds together as well as they have. Uh, but Kirk has been fantastic. I think he's got five touchdowns on the year, just shy of 600 yards, zero interceptions. He's driven us down the field both games when we needed them to, and he should realistically have two game-winning touchdown drives or two game-winning drives right now on his record to start this season, both of them uh, wiped away by a Dalvin Cook fumble and then a 37-yard missed field goal. Uh, but that's not on Kirk. I mean, he played fantastic. I thought he did everything we needed him to do. Uh, there were some times where he didn't make the best decision, but for the most part all day I thought he made the right decision on pretty much every snap, and he did exactly what we needed him to do to win a road game in the NFL against a playoff-caliber uh, NFC team and that's what you need to do on the road he gave us a chance to win and he spread the football around I thought I'm getting eight KJ Osborne he's a legit number three receiver for us I mean we've got that figured out if that three if that core of three guys can stay healthy if Dalvin Cook can stay healthy I think Andy you're exactly right this offense has no trouble scoring points it's going to come down to how this defense can do how the secondary can do um, because it seems like like Daniel Hunter, it seems like the offensive line, the linebackers, Nick Vigil, huge game on Sunday. It seems like they're coming into form, and if they can just find some got somebody to play cornerback opposite Patrick Peterson, they're going to be okay. But until they can do that, they're going to struggle in man coverage, and that's what Zim wants to run. That's exactly what he wants to run. So we'll see what happens with the Vikings. Seahawks coming into town. I believe that's a noon kickoff, BG. Do you know about that? I think it's afternoon. Okay. I think, yeah, I think it's a 12 p.m. It could be a 3 o'clock kick, but uh, let's talk a no, little bit. I think goal. it's 3. I think it's 3. Oh, it's 3? Okay. 325. Beautiful. Yeah. Another 325 game. I, I don't mind those. I don't mind those late afternoon games. Uh, you guys want to flip over to a little Golden Gopher talk, and we can also talk uh, quickly, Andy, Packers, and Lions, because they're about to go in just a few minutes here. But let's talk Gophers first. They trounce the Colorado Buffaloes, 30 rip. And as two-and-a-half-point two underdogs, BG, uh, going into that one, you got to be pretty pleased with, uh, with P.J. Fleck, with Tanner Morgan, with that offense, uh, Trace and Potts, and then also with the defense. I mean, shutouts don't happen in college football, and they just pulled one off on the road. Pretty, pretty good stuff from the Gophers on Saturday. Yeah, super impressed. Um, really fun to see. Uh, just in general, playing like a Pac-12 team, team we don't really play at all, uh, the Colorado Buffaloes. Uh, it was a fun game to watch, especially if you're a Gophers fan. And it, it definitely surprised me, especially after the the tough win we had against Miami, Ohio in week two. I was surprised to see a, see a shutout 30-0-W against Colorado. Um, and I saw most of the game, and the Gophers looked really, really good, and Colorado looked absolutely horrible. I think they had 60 total yards. Um, I was watching one of the last drives, I think with like two or three minutes left, and they said that was Colorado's first drive with more than one first down. Um, so our defense just absolutely swarmed them in the run game and in the passing game, which is awesome to see, um, especially later in the Big Ten season when how good your defense is really comes into factor um, with those colder games, those outdoor games. So that was really good to see. 
Um, Tanner Morgan, once again, looked pretty efficient. Our running game, obviously, it took a hit with Ibrahim out, but not as big of a hit as one would see with close to, I think we had over 200 total rushing yards as a team. It's just offense and defense looked on point, and I look forward to next week and getting to three and one. Miami of Ohio. Who, who do, like, who, who do the Gophers have next week? Excuse me, not Miami. Bowling Green. Uh, Miami, Ohio last week. Yeah, Bowling Green next week. I think that's 11 o'clock at the bank, Huntington Bank Stadium. Uh, yeah, the Gophers dominate. I mean, anytime you hold your opponent to negative rushing yards, that's, pr- that's pretty cool. Negative 19. I think it was close to a school mm-hmm. record uh, for the Golden Gophers. Uh, Brendan Lewis, number 12 of Colorado. Here's his stat line. Seven carries, negative 27 yards. He's averaging minus 3.9 yards per carry. Uh, that's pretty awesome for the Gopher defense. you got to imagine that's wow. up on the bulletin board uh, today as they were watching film. Hey, we held this guy to negative 27 yards, which is pretty awesome. Pretty awesome from the Golden Gophers. Yeah. They cool. should get to three and one next week. You never want to guarantee that. They're thirty-one point favorites at the moment. That's a lot of points, PG. <laughs> uh, but they should get to three and one next week against Bowling Green, and then that starts the Big Ten schedule. We got Purdue, then Nebraska uh, to start off Big Ten play. Iowa, uh, Wisconsin, right near the end of the schedule. As usual, I think we play Iowa on the thirteenth. Wisconsin on the. Like twenty sixth or twenty seventh, it's that it's that Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, but some some good games in the back half of this Minnesota schedule. Indiana's mixed in there in, as well. Uh, but yeah, should be should be good for the Gophers. They got a good chance to uh, potentially run the table here and get to Iowa. That'd be the next time they play a ranked opponent, and that'd be pretty pretty awesome to run the table, get to uh, like nine and one, something like that, eight and one, and play the Hawkeyes. And I think that's in Kinnick this year, Andy. You gonna go to that game? Um, that game is November 13th. I will be abroad. Um, I will be in Europe. Um, so I will not be going to that game, but I mean, if, if I will beat Penn state in a couple weeks here and, and I'm assuming I was going to win the rest of their games besides yep. Penn state game before that Minnesota game, but I was going to be a top four team with two weeks ago, um, you know, looking at a college football playoff and Minnesota could play spoiler. I, don't like their chances in Kinnick just because Kinnick is such a tough environment to play in. But um, the thing I'm excited for, I mean, I know it's two months away basically at this point, but uh, but for that Iowa-Minnesota game is I think Tanner Morgan and Spencer Petras, the, the Iowa quarterback, are like the same person. Kind of like this weekend we saw Bo Nix and, and Sean Clifford, who I think are the same quarterback. Mm-hmm. Like Pet. Petrus and Tanner Morgan, they can both have like that one quarter of football where they look like an NFL pro style quarterback and they're hitting all the tight throws. They're going through all their progressions, whatnot. Then they can have those quarters where you're just kind of like, what are you thinking here on some of these throws? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and you guys have watched more Minnesota football than I have, at least from what I've watched in Minnesota football, I see them as two very similar uh, quarterbacks. And, they're in, in, from a team perspective, I mean, these are two teams who, like to run the ball, they like to control the pace of the game. Um, you know, regardless of win loss record going into that game in November, it's going to be a classic Big Ten football game. There's going to be 13 punts. The final score is going to be 24-21. I mean, that's going to be that's going to be a good football game. And Minnesota, I mean, kind of like Iowa. Besides that Penn State game, um, I mean, I guess we're kind of the Penn State on your schedule as as Gopher fans. But I think mean, we both have. 
relatively easy schedules in the Big Ten West uh, this year. Uh, Wisconsin, I think the jury's still out how good Wisconsin is. I would say, I think a week ago, I'd say we'll know if Wisconsin is good after this Notre Dame game this weekend. But I don't know how good Notre Dame is. Right. So exactly. I don't know how good Wisconsin is. Yeah. <laughs> so, you got to imagine Notre Dame. So I, have no, I have no idea about Wisconsin. Yeah. I think Notre Dame will win. I think Jack Cohn's <laughs> a lot better than he was last year. But yeah, again, I don't know how good Notre Dame is either. I mean, they, one mm-hmm. week they look great. I think two weeks ago they got upset. So it, it, it's kind of back and forth with Notre Dame. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and and I just think um, I don't know. I just think with Ohio State, like you know, I don't know if you guys watched Ohio State game. They went by twenty one points, but with like four minutes left in that game. Um, Tulsa is driving and they're down a touchdown and they just like throw a pick six or throw two pick sixes or something like that. Like Ohio State won that game by 21 points, but that was a way closer game than it should have been. That defense with Ohio State is not good. The first time in a while, I think Penn State is best in the Big Ten East. I think Wisconsin, I, I mean, I'm a homer, but Iowa's the best team in the Big Ten West. Um, I'm excited for the fact that you could have Iowa and Penn State play twice this year. Um, in a Big Ten championship game where the winner goes to the college football playoff. Um, and I just think Big Ten football is so Big Ten this year. I mean, it, like Michigan State going and club in Miami down in South Florida in the September heat, like beating Miami like a Big Ten team wins a football game, just pounding the rock. Um, like I am like Big Ten football, like I said, is Big Ten football this year. And it is <laughs> and it is a special type of football that, you know, the, the three of us have, and, and I'm sure all you listeners have come to know and love. Um, and I just, like, there is something about just watching the game with 12 punts this year that is just, like, just kind of makes you smile. You know, like Big Ten football. I mean, this, this isn't the FCC. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't how any other conference like the football, but this is how we do in the Big Ten. And this is shaping up to be, I mean, you in Nebraska, who was god-awful this year, got blown up by Illinois, who is not a good football team, like mm-hmm. almost beat Oklahoma this weekend. I mean, the Big Ten is, has been playing tough non-conference games. They're going to play tough. Like, I don't like any Big Ten team as a double-digit favorite this um, this season, like you know, yeah. Bill, you were texting me this weekend. You had Iowa, you had Iowa minus twenty two, I think. Yep, they covered, and yeah, they covered. And and I texted because you didn't text me before you made that bet, but uh, I think it was part of a parlay, and it didn't matter. But like yep. Kirk Ferentz was god awful as a double digit favorite. Like Iowa generally, just like they don't blow teams out. And most Big Ten teams, like even in non conference teams, don't blow teams out, but because of the way they play football. And um, I just feel like every Big Ten football game is going to be uh, a conference game this year. It's going to be close. And I'm just so excited uh, for, for, for even like a game like, like Maryland, Nebraska, uh, or like Northwestern, Purdue. I mean, like those weird games aren't going to get national attention. Yep. I mean, those are going to be exciting football games to watch this year. Um, so yeah, looking forward to Big Ten football as we get. Did you, mention, did you mention Colorado, Texas A&M? Uh, no. Because that was another one. I mean, like, Texas A&M ranked f- five in the country. I don't know what they were after this week. Um, actually, I have it right here. Uh, they're seven, I think. S- seven, seven now. Seven? I think they're seven. Seven now, yeah, yep. 3-0. But they beat uh, Colorado 10-7, and that was at mile high, not at, at the normal stadium and, they play at. But and, that was a close game. Then the Gophers go in there and, and blow the doors off. 
and they played Kent State, I think, and they gave up like 20 points or something like that to Kent State. Iowa gave up one touchdown to Kent State. I was only given up three touchdowns this whole season. Like, like it is interesting to watch these kind of crossover games of like teams that you played um, and how they played other teams in the Big Ten. I feel like is besides Ohio State, um, <laughs> who is taking teams like Tulsa and letting them hang around for most of the game. Yeah. Um, I mean, even like Penn State Auburn. Like, I don't think Auburn. I, mean, I I feel like Auburn was ranked twenty second because they're an SEC football team. I don't know if Auburn should be like a fantastic football team. They're year, solid. I mean, they like, had, that did game you watch electric the, this yeah, weekend. That like, was a good football game. Yeah, and, and they held yeah, their I, own. And they honestly, it, it, it was it was a great football game. If that wasn't at Penn State, if that wasn't and, in front of one hundred and ten thousand fans, Penn State doesn't win that football game. No chance. And, and huge props to Auburn. I gotta give props to Auburn because the SEC is notorious for never playing uh, Big Ten teams non-conference. Um, in the north, those games are always a neutral site game in Dallas or Atlanta mm-hmm. or like somewhere else. Like, like Auburn. I I I thought about looking up this weekend. I think I was probably too drunk uh, to uh, to to do it. But um, but looking up like what SEC, SEC teams have played in the Big Ten have played a Big Ten team at home and a true home and away in the past 10 years. Cause like Nick Saban won't do it at Alabama. No. He doesn't play non-conference games unless they big non-conference games unless they're in neutral sites. Like right. I think it's the biggest critique of the SEC, even though, I mean, they are phenomenal. Like they don't leave the South. Um, and um, props to Auburn for, for traveling up to a tough environment yeah. at state college. And they um, showed up great, well too. It was a great Saturday football game. You yeah. Know, I love, yeah, love, love they did. the white game. They did. Game. Like, I, I think. Oh, it's electric. And, like, I mean, I guess, like, I don't think Auburn in SEC is going to be great, but I think if you're an Auburn fan, you're, you probably feel good coming out of that game just knowing you went to probably a, a pretty good, like, almost an SEC environment, you know, on a Saturday night with college game day there. Um, Oh, you know, better and, than, and better than any, and, better. I got to stop you right there. Yeah. Better than any, there's 110,000. I, I don't care if Alabama has strobe lights going before the game. There's not 110,000 people there. There's a difference when you add 40 or 50,000 more people. I mean, that's a shitload of people, Andy. That, there is no place in the SEC that's like State College or yeah. like the big house. It, I mean, it, it's just not it, the same. And, and it's going to be, I think it's going to be great to see like Penn State play at Iowa. It's going to be a night game. It hasn't been announced yet, but it's the only Iowa start kind of has been announced. It's going to be a night game. It's Iowa's going to strike the stadium. It's going to be, it's going to be loud as fucking Kinnick. Um, you know, Kinnick, the, if, if, for people who don't know, the, the thing about Kinnick that makes it so unique is that I think it's only like 20 feet separate, like the out of bounds from the fans, like from the first row. Like it's a super super tight stadium, so like you as a player, and you are right there, like in between the sidelines and the fans. There is absolutely no space. I mean, everyone is jam packed on top of each other. I mean, it is the place where top six teams to top five teams go to die. And I mean, it's going to be interesting to not just Penn State you play that game, but just travel in general because it's going to be a good indicator, I think, especially for the Big Ten this year and how you know whatever team we get the mix the national uh the, the final four like how they're going to play in that game in a neutral site is if they can show up and at a, at a big away game 
and get a big win, I think that translates well to a college football playoff. Whether it's Wisconsin, Iowa, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State even. I mean, after their convincing win this went this this week, who knows what what sort of year that uh, Michigan State's gonna put together. Um, yeah, I think it's gonna be a great big ten season. I'm I'm so looking forward to it. Upon further review here of the Alabama football stadium size, they're pretty damn close. They got about a hundred thousand in there. So they're not far behind, but like State College, I, I guess I've never seen a game in Alabama, but I've seen a game at State College. It's unbelievable how big that stadium is, how loud that place gets, especially for the whiteout game. I haven't seen a whiteout game there, but just watching that on TV, it sounds different. It's so much louder than than really any game else on TV that you watch. I mean, you can hear, you can almost hear the individual fans screaming. It, it's so damn loud, uh, and that's so fun to watch those games on Saturday night. And it was great to have to have the game day there, to have Herb Street there to have Chris Fowler there. I mean, they're, they're the best in college football, so it's always a treat when you get them at a whiteout game, um, especially a, a top 25, a big-time game. And so that was just a treat on Saturday night. Uh, BG, Randy, anything else wrapping up college football week three? It, it was a great football weekend. Oh. Between college, there was a ton of good college games, ton of good like just interesting college football stories and the NFL, like, like the, the, the afternoon slate of games yesterday was phenomenal. I mean, red zone was just electric, like football's off to a great start to the season. And I have, I mean, there's no science built into the stake, but like fans play a part. I mean, I, I have to imagine fans play a part. Like football oh, yeah. is set enough to have a great time this fall. And I cannot wait for like, 50 degree weather, like nice, warm, chilly, um, and good football uh, all day Saturday and Sunday. Like sure. it is, it is oh, football. Fall is coming, boys. Fall is yeah. coming, this and and it's going to be a good one this year. Yeah, and we've had two great Thursday night games thus far. Um, the Giants and the football team, two really not fun teams to watch, but that game was a great game. Seeing Taylor Heineke go in there, pour his heart out on the field. Um, the first Sunday night game we got was a fun one to watch. Um, or can't remember if it was Sunday night or Monday night I'm thinking of, but I'm hoping that it's going to be a fun one tonight too. Um, I guess last night when this comes out between the Packers and the Lions though, um, cause it seems like every primetime game there's been thus far, it's, it's lived up to a type, even though you wouldn't guess it would be. So, um, looks like they're just about to kick off here and I, I hope we see a, a Lions dub. Amen, brother. I hope the Lions cover. Let's hit that over. Should, should, should I give, should I give a, a, a pregame take? Yes. yes. Until after the game is perfect, way, perfect way to wrap up the show here, Andy. Before the game kicks off, what's going to happen? There's I, two things will happen in this game. Either it will be like a 13 to 10 just shitty game where like there's fumbles and there's tons of puns. It'll be like either it'll be a big 10 game between Nebraska and Rutgers or like Aaron Rodgers is going to throw six touchdown passes and just like wipe the floor with it. Because I don't think Aaron, I mean, Aaron Rodgers never has back to back bad games. He hasn't had his whole career. He's had bad games. Jenner doesn't have him week one. Like I think either the game is close and either team wins or the Packers come out and just absolutely dominate. And I'm going up one. I'm going to say the second yeah. partially because I'm a Packers, partially because no, I'd say the same thing. I, I need DeAndre Swift 
Adams and TJ Hawkinson to combine for less than 24 points for me to win my fantasy football game. Well, so I have no, I have no faith in this Packers defense. I think we are God awful this year. Um, but I'm hoping we show up tonight. I, I like that, Andy. I was thinking the same thing. I like the, well, these are both alternate lines here, but keep in mind, I, I like the own the under, no, excuse me. I like the over 46 and I like Packers minus nine. And uh, I think Packers went in the landslide tonight uh, to get back to one and one. We're going to do two episodes this week. Andy's coming to Minneapolis. We're going to record Wednesday night, Ryder Cup preview, maybe some football mixed in there as well. Uh, Probably a pick segment in there. We'll get that going for this year. But Ryder Cup preview, we're going to release that Wednesday night, Thursday morning. It'll be out. And uh, we'll see you guys all then. Day after day, I'm more confused. And I look for the light in the pouring rain. You know, it's a game I hate to lose. And I'm feeling strain. Oh, ain't it a shame? Oh, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. Give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. Won't you take me away? Yeah. Beginning to think that I'm wasting time I don't understand the things I do The world outside looks so unkind I'm counting on you To carry me through Oh, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away Give me the beat, boys, and free my soul I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away Won't you take me away, Guitars coming through to soothe me. Thanks for the joy that you've given me. I want you to know that I believe in your song. Oh, yeah. Rhythm and rhyme and harmony. You help me along. Oh, making me strong Oh, give me the beat, boys And free my soul I want to get lost in your rock and roll And drift away Drift away Give me the beat, boys Free my soul I want to get lost in your rock and roll And drift away Don't you take me away